The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Luke chapter number 13, the Bible says there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Let me just stop there real quick and just kind of get us where we're at here in this passage of Scripture. Uh, Apparently, there was an event that took place uh, um, among the Jews uh, where Herod uh, had caused uh, some kind of a, a political unrest uh, between the Jews and the Romans. Herod had, um, had caused uh, some of uh, the Jews to be killed, innocent ones. There was a display that was there. The Jews, of course, uh, hated the Romans, and he was bringing um, insignias and all kinds of symbols, Roman symbols of Caesar, into Jerusalem, which the Jews despised. They didn't want those Roman symbols, insignias, in what they called their holy city. And uh, Herod was doing that just to kind of cause some unrest uh, there. And there were some, apparently some Galileans uh, who, the Bible says here, Pilate uh, had mingled with their sacrifice. Verse number two, and Jesus answering said unto them, suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell, and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? So again, Jesus is speaking about some current event that had happened uh, here uh, to some Galileans, and then here at a tower in Siloam, Jesus is speaking uh, on a level here of what was going on in Jerusalem or in the area at that time. They were questioning him in regards to this, and Jesus is answering them. And uh, verse number five, he says, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall always, all likewise perish. Verse six, he spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Verse number 11, And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall, and lead him away to watering. And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on, this, on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Then said he, Unto what is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I resemble it? Is it, it, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took 
and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree. And the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. And again, he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will enter, uh, seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, uh, there uh, there are last which shall be first and there are first which shall be last. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto him, Get thee out, and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, Go ye, and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We'll look at these four different breakups in chapter number 13 tonight and uh, look at kind of uh, the questions that are posed through these situations. Not always a question directly asked, but a question posed, uh, perhaps even in our minds as we look at these uh, different breakups. And uh, we'll look at the first nine verses here. And number one tonight, we'll look at a political question. A political question. Uh, boy, that's something that all of us like, right? Uh, when someone brings raises, begins to discuss, there's two things people don't usually want to discuss publicly. It's, it's religion and politics. And uh, uh, politics is uh, not something usually we like to talk about. And uh, Pontius Pilate uh, here, the Roman governor, did not get along with the Jews because he was insensitive to their religious convictions. And uh, again, we talked about how he was bringing in these Roman insignias uh, into, uh, into Jerusalem, and uh, they didn't want it. They had Caesar's image uh, in the holy city. And uh, Pilate was threatening to kill uh, the Jews that were coming to protest against uh, what, what they were doing. And Pilate threatened to do that, and there, there was people that were pro- t- protesting here, and they were willing to die. They were willing to be killed. They said, we're not going to cease our protest. We're going to keep uh, moving forward. And, and the governor, uh, uh, he, he relented, and he moved the uh, insignias to Caesarea, but that didn't stop the hostilities. They continued to uh, uprise and protest against uh, what was going on. And, and the atrocity that was mentioned in Luke chapter 13 and verse number 1 here 
kind of uh, may have taken place uh, when Pilate appropriated money from the temple treasury to help with something that was going on in the city. So he was taking money from the temple uh, to use for uh, a project, a job. There was an aqueduct they were trying to build there, and there were Jews that were in in uprising and protest uh, to this. And so uh, Pilate had soldiers uh, put on civilian clothes, and they were to move in through these protesters in the civilian clothes, and these civilian uh, clothes, these these, uh, plain clothes uh, uh, Romans uh, drew their swords, and they killed some of these Galilean protesters there. And uh, uh, they, uh, he tried to do this and cover it up like the Romans weren't doing it, that these were just common people, if you would, uh, that were kind of the mob got uproared and somebody, people got killed in the process. And so this was kind of like a government cover-up that was going on. And it was mentioned, it was being talked about in Jerusalem, it was a hot topic uh, that was going on. And, and uh, here they're kind of getting Jesus to answer a political question. You ever have someone ask a public political question because they're trying to trap you into saying something because they want you to say something negative uh, about the government or they want you to say something negative about one of the rulers there. And, and Jesus is there and they're trying to almost trap him into saying one thing or another. And Jesus uh, uh, kind of looked at the issue and he didn't really ignore what was going on. Uh, he mentioned what was going on, but he moved the issue to a higher level in his answer. He... Uh, instead of discussing Pilate's sin, instead of discussing the sins of the political leaders uh, of their day, instead of uh, approaching the topic of how bad the politicians were, of how wrong they were and how the decisions they made and all the things they were doing, he dealt with the sins of the people that were questioning him. He dealt with the sins of the people who were complaining, who were mentioning, who were talking about this, and he answers their question by asking a question. Verse number two, the Bible says, Jesus answering them said unto them. Notice he's answering them, but there's a question here. He says, suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. Jesus kind of makes it clear here that human tragedies are not always God's punishments. Uh, Human tragedies are not always because God is judging certain individuals. Uh, Surely we remember in the case of Job, how Job went through uh, great tragedies and how his friends were saying that God was judging him or there was some sin that was present in his life. And and sometimes uh, if we're not careful, we can look at tragedy in this world. We can look at things that are happening, current events that are happening around us and think that that is God's judgment on a certain people or a certain group or uh, perhaps on these Galileans, God was judging them uh, for their sins. And here was the problem. There was a group of people here that were considering the sins of someone else while ignoring their own sins. If we're not careful in application to us uh, that sit in a country who has Christian heritage and foundations, who's denying it in our day, uh, as we look at the politicians that are around us and as we uh, have upcoming elections and often it's, a, it's the choice of the lesser of the two evils and we look at all the parties that are presented to us and the candidates that are presented to us, uh, really uh, sometimes Christians get so caught up in, in politics and what's going on and they're focusing so much on the sins of the government, the sins of the politicians, if you would, the uh, uh, wickedness of the country uh, that we live in and they ignore their own sin. That's a problem. We ignore our own uh, complacency. We ignore our own uh, a lack of act, uh, ability to take action. We love to complain that others are not taking action while we ourselves are not taking action. Uh, if you would, it's kind of like uh, 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 when we like to sit on the couch and coach the team through the TV, right? 
uh, or we like to be the referee from the couch, you know? Uh, we're not really doing anything. We're not really a part of anything. We're kind of sitting back observing, but we love to criticize from our observance, don't we? And a lot of Christians, that's the way, that's the stand that, the, uh, that they think they're taking uh, in our country today. And, and the problem was the same uh, in, in, in Jesus's day. When they're observing, they're just standing back, they're taking a, uh, a, a, a uh, kind of a, a spectator view of things, not really involved, not really part of the solution, just kind of watching and criticizing, watching and criticizing. And I don't see that as, as being our place in the world that we live in. God doesn't call us uh, to spectate. God ta- calls us to be involved, to be salt, to be light, to be part of the solution. Uh, anybody in this room can identify problems. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's not too many people that are willing to get their hands dirty and get involved and, and fix the solution. All of us can stand back and criticize, but how many of us would be willing to jump in and be a part and help solve the problems? And many times we think, well, I can't do anything. And that's not the truth at all. Uh, aren't you glad that there, uh, there are some Americans in our history that didn't take that stand? It didn't say, well, I can't do anything. There's nothing to be done. There's nothing that we can do. And sometimes we like to stand back and, and, and blame. And uh, here they're, they're asking a question, how do you explain the deaths of the people on which the Tower uh, of Siloam fell? Jesus asked the question, that was not the fault of Pilate. Was it God's fault? Shall we blame God? I mean, here's the other, uh, other side of things. Don't you have this happen in the world? If God's so good, if, 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 if we have such a good God, why are innocent people dying in the world? Was it God's fault that people are dying? Is it God's fault that there's death here? Is it God's fault that there's wickedness on the earth? Is it God's fault that there's sin? Is it God's fault that uh, there's things? That, I mean, isn't that the stand that a lot of people take as, as their argument against God? Um. Jesus went on to show, really, the logical conclusion of their argument. If, if God does punish sinners in this way, then they themselves had better repent because all men are sinners. The question is not, why did these people die? But what right do you and I have to live? None of us is sinless, and all of us had better be prepared to meet God because every single one of us is going to die if the Lord tarry. Isn't that the truth tonight? It's a point that a man wants to die. Here's the truth. Even though we're Christians and we're saved, our bodies, if the Lord tarries, is still going to meet death. Why? Because we have this, this, this body, that this old nature, this decrepit flesh, uh, wherefore is by one man sin entered in the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men. We understand death is in the world because of sin, and that's not God's fault. That's, that's the result of man's choice. What man decided, what man chose to do, uh, when presented with perfection, we, we messed it up. It's easier, easier to talk about other people's deaths than it is to face our own sin and possible death. A lot of people want to talk about other things that are happening in this world rather than considering themselves. Uh, uh, often when you're presented with these questions, uh, perhaps in your workplace or uh, with people around you, when they bring up the topic Uh, When they broach the topic of political unrest or the fact that bombings and people are dying, uh, I I would challenge you as a Christian to broach the topic of what's going to happen when they die. Doesn't this help us realize that everybody's going to die, that death is in our world, that it's all around us, that people are dying every second, Uh, there's people passing off into eternity, and what are you going to, where are you going to go when you die? Because we're never sure what's going to happen around us. We don't know whether uh, we'll go by car accident or sickness or 
uh, something happens. We have no idea what's going to happen around us. We don't know if there'll be unrest in our own country, perhaps an accident or something takes place. We don't know. Are we ready to meet God? Uh, are we ready? Uh, uh, and Jesus is, is raising this topic to them. Uh, are, you, are, you, are you ready to meet God yourself? What about your sin? What about uh, your condi- condition? According to uh, Leviticus 19, 23 through 25, uh, uh, Jesus moves on to uh, the next. He says in verse number 7, he kind of, uh, uh, verse 6, he spake also a parable. He continues and he begins to speak a parable. In Leviticus 19, 23 through 25, uh, fruit from newly planted trees was not eaten for the first three years. And the fourth year, the crops belonged to the Lord. And so they would plant a tree. It would bear fruit. For the first three years, they didn't do anything with the fruit. Uh, they, they didn't pluck it. They didn't eat it. They didn't take it. On the fourth year, all of the fruit from that tree belonged to the Lord. So they, they gave all of that to the Lord. That was the first fruits that they were supposed to be taken, were allowed to be taken. Uh, they gave that to the Lord. And then a farmer would not get any figs for himself until the fifth year. But this man, according to this uh, parable, had been waiting seven years uh, for fruit. And no wonder he wanted in this parable to cut down the fruitless tree. And the, the parable has an application to ind- individuals and to the nation of Israel. God's gracious and he's long-suffering towards people. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9 that God would that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's long-suffering to us, word, the Bible says. And so God's gracious, he's long-suffering. He does more than enough to encourage us to repent and to bear fruit. He has every right to cut us down. He has every right, there's, he has every right to snatch our life away. Justice demands the death. He has every right for that. In other words, none of us, here's the truth, none of us deserve to live. And anybody that is living right now, it's God's grace. That's the truth tonight. I know that that doesn't, that's not culturally popular, but it is the truth. Any person that's alive today, right now, if you and I were alive, this is the grace of God that we're living, that we're breathing. It's God's grace. It's gift. It's God being merciful to us. It's, it's God allowing us to live. Uh, you think about uh, God's mercy, if, if you're a Christian tonight, that God allowed you to live long enough to receive him as Savior. That's mercy. God didn't have to do that. He did that because he loves us, because he's merciful, because he's gracious. But here's the truth tonight. How long does someone have before that time period runs out? How long does, how long, does long suffering last? How long does... That mercy lasts. We don't know. Some people die and they perish. They go off in eternity. Is it, did they have a chance to come to Christ? Yes. But they didn't come to Christ. They chose not to. They, 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 if you would, resisted the truth. They rejected the truth. But God is merciful. The day of judgment's coming. Uh, the tree here reminds us of God's special goodness to Israel and his patience with them. God waited three years during the Lord's earthly ministry. But the nation of Israel did not produce fruit. They did not receive him. They rejected him. He then waited about 40 uh, years more before he allowed the Roman armies to destroy Jerusalem and the temple. Think about that. After Jesus' uh, uh, earthly ministry is over and Jesus ascends, he waits 40 years before he brings judgment upon uh, Israel. There's a, there's a time frame there. He allowed, uh, and think about what happened in Jerusalem, Acts chapter number 2. Uh, Peter gets up, he preaches the gospel. Uh, thousands of Jews receive Christ as Savior. Thousands. They receive 
the, the, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, they, they believe on him, who they crucified, uh, who they had rejected. They believe on Christ. And uh, then uh, the revivals that happen around in Samaria and around as the disciples go around preaching the gospel. And then there's still those that have rejected Christ and that, that 40 years passes and then the tree was finally cut down. The end, if you would, of the time of the Jews and the time of the Gentiles transitioned there in that book of Acts. We see the Gentiles coming and the, and the, the age of the church is ushered in. And, and it's significant that this parable was open-ended because the listeners had to supply the conclusions, kind of like the book of Jonah. Uh, as you get to the end of the book of Jonah, you kind of go, did Jonah, did he get right with God or did he not? Did he, did he turn back? Did, I mean, did he, did he continue or, or did he not? And it, was the tree spared or was it cut down? We have no way uh, to know the answers to these questions, but we can answer as far as our own lives are concerned. Again, the question is not what happened to the tree, but what will happen to me? What's going to happen to me? Jesus always wanted those he spoke to to consider themselves, to examine themselves. And God is seeking fruit. He'll accept no substitutes. And the time to repent is now, isn't it? Now is the day. Now is the time. You don't wait. Uh, 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 Listen, as as we're Christians, uh, the time to obey Christ and be a witness is now. We don't know how long that we have. Uh, uh, I, I dare say that the regrets that we'll have uh, when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, will have to do with the area of our witness, that we weren't the witness that we should have been, that we didn't tell the people we should have told, that we didn't do all of what we should have done. Um, the next time you hear about a tragedy that claims many lives, ask yourself, am I just taking up space or am I bearing fruit to God's glory? Am I wasting God's mercy that God is allowing me to live? Am I wasting today? Will I waste tomorrow? Uh, Is there time to be wasted? I think at the end of our life, we'd say, I wish I had more time. But if we would think that way today, maybe perhaps at the end of our life, we won't say that. Maybe we'll be grateful that we spent our time well. Uh, uh, At the end of things, we, we, we realize how much we wasted, don't we? We get down to the end of it. When we get down to the, where it's run out, where our days are short, where the few, if you ever look at someone who's, who's, who's on their way, on their deathbed or on their way out, they, they look back and say, it's just so short. I wish I had more time. I didn't think it would happen this fast. Boy, we understand that life is short. It's like a vapor. It's here and then it vanishes away. And God's given us this time to bear fruit as Christians, and we ought to bear fruit. If we're a Christian, we will bear fruit, the Bible says. And any tree that beareth not fruit is, is, is not a Christian. We're not a Christian if we're not bearing fruit. And I wonder, are we bearing fruit or are we just taking up space? And so uh, we see first this political question in Jesus' answer. The second uh, question we see is a legal question. And it regard, it's in regards to the Sabbath. Uh, in, in verses uh, 10 through 21, Jesus is, in verse number 10, it kind of just transitions quickly. And, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, the Bible says. That was Jesus uh, did this often. And uh, we see here a liberation that takes place. And think about it. A woman for 18 years couldn't stand up straight. The Bible says that she had to be loosed by Christ because Satan had bound her in this condition. Think about that. Uh, I I think we, we often don't realize the association of principalities and powers of spiritual wickedness and health problems. Some people, uh, we, we are, 
we are, uh, we are medicating away uh, spiritual problems. And uh, uh, there's, there, there's truth to that. Uh, uh, we don't look at every medical problem and say it's a spiritual problem, but I dare say that we should look at more medical problems and consider the spiritual ramifications of them. Why does God tell us to pray that the sick would be healed? There's a spiritual thing. There's, there's binding. And here this woman was bound, the Bible says, uh, uh, of Satan, and she needed to be loosed. Think about it. If you had been crippled for 18 years, would you be faithful to worship God week after week in the synagogue, not being able to stand up straight? This woman got herself to the synagogue every Sabbath for 18 years. She's there in the synagogue. And here's the hypocritical view of this Pharisee who, who gets indignant about what Jesus did. He said, let her be healed on another day. I mean, what in the world is he even talking about? The lady's been there for 18 years. If you haven't done it yet, you're not going to do it. And Jesus steps in and purposely uh, calls attention to this. I mean, think about this. You think this woman had prayed? She's going to Sabbath every day or every Saturday. You think she prayed? I think she prayed. You think she prayed about her physical condition? You think that she wanted help? Do you think she looked to God for help for 18 years? I mean, think about it. She couldn't stand up straight because uh, of the condition that she was in. And... uh, She's not resentful. She's in the synagogue. She's there worshiping God. And Jesus is sensitive to her needs. He, he calls her to come forward. I, I don't know if um, she wanted to be made in a spectacle, but Jesus is about to teach a lesson. And Jesus calls her forward. He wants these Pharisees to see this happen. You think that Jesus did this on the Sabbath on accident? You think that Jesus uh, called this woman uh, to a- attention of uh, those that are around? You know, it may have seemed heartless to the congregation for Jesus to expose this handicapped woman publicly, but he knew what he was doing. Here's the thing. Satan was in the synagogue, and he wanted to expose him and defeat him. He also wanted the woman to help him teach the people an important lesson about freedom. Not only does Satan bow people down, but so does sin, sorrow, and suffering. And Jesus Christ is the only one that can liberate and set a prisoner free. And uh, that's what Jesus wanted to do. Notice he speaks the word. He lays hands on her. She was healed and gave glory to God. And that was a synagogue service that I dare say people never forgot. Jesus uh, caused this woman to be whole and she glorified God. So so we see a liberation. Then we see the indignation in verse number 14. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. Instead of rejoicing and giving God the glory, the ruler of the synagogue became very angry. It's kind of like when God does something special in a corporate uh, worship service and we're not happy about it because it didn't, if you would acquiesce to what we would like things or how we would like things to happen. So selfish in our view of coming together as God's people. The more you, you ponder the tirade of this man, the more laughable it becomes. Suppose they did bring their sick to be healed on another day other than the Sabbath. Who there would have healed him? If he brought them on another day, I mean, who was the one that was going to take care of this? Who was going to heal them? Notice he says, don't, don't do this on the Sabbath. Do it on another day. Fine, come back on another Bring your sick on another day. Not on... Not on Saturday. 
Did, did this man have that kind of power? And if he did, why did he not use it before to help people? What a cowardly hypocrite. The bondage of the ruler of the synagogue was worse than the bondage of the woman. Her bondage affected only her body, but his bondage shackled his mind and his heart. He was so bound and blinded by tradition that he ended up opposing the Son of God. Uh, I like this quote from Elbert Hubbard. He, He called tradition a clock that tells us what time it was. In other words, it's interesting that that sometimes what people need to know is what time it is. And tradition tells us what time it was. But people need to know what time it is. And the truth is, is tradition is not going to help. What, what happened yesterday is not going to help people today. We need answers today. And uh, by the way, we have a better answer for people than tradition. The answer is Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, tradition is not the answer. Jesus Christ uh, is the answer. Notice that's the case in this situation. Tradition had nothing to help her. As a matter of fact, tradition said, don't help her. Tradition opposed helping her. The ruler of the synagogue could not discern this time, and he stood condemned. So we see indignation. Then we see vindication. Verse number 15, the Lord answered him. And so here's the answer to the question. He says, thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to Uh, Watering, again, with a question, Jesus is arguing from lesser to greater. He's saying, is this woman better than your cattle? Is this woman, is her life, is her hurt, is, is her needs less valuable than your cattle, than your donkeys? He's arguing from lesser to greater. He said, if you would help them, by bringing them the water, why in the world are you angry that I helped her by helping her stand up straight? By meeting her need. He deliberately chose the Sabbath day because he wanted to teach a lesson here about freedom. Notice the repetition of the word loose in verses 12 and 15 and 16. First, the Lord defended the woman and rebuked the ruler of the synagogue. Jesus reminded him that he treated his animals better than he treated this poor woman. If God permits people to help their thirsty animals on the Sabbath day, would he not want us to care for needy people made in the image of God? Here's the truth. Any tradition that keeps us from helping others is not from God. In fact, it's easy to use tradition as an excuse for not caring for others. In other words, I can't help you. Remember the Good Samaritan? There were individuals that could not help because of their traditions because of their whatever else they had going on. But notice their religious positions that Jesus presented. Their traditions were not allowing them to help people. Whenever a tradition won't allow us to help people, we need to get rid of that tradition and help people. God wants us to help people. That's what he he left us here to do. Jesus said that the woman here was a daughter of Abraham. He's referring to her spiritual condition, not her physical birth here. Uh, There were people in the congregation who hoped to use this Sabbath violation to accuse Jesus, but he left them so ashamed that they had nothing to say. The lesson he taught was clear. Satan puts people into bondage, but true freedom comes from trusting Christ. And even Satan can be present in religious tradition. The Sabbath that God wants us uh, is a heart rest that comes through grace and not uh, from obeying traditions. Can I remind you tonight that he did away 
with the Sabbath. We don't come together on Sunday because it's the Sabbath day. We come together, it's the Lord's day. We don't have the laws of the Sabbath on Sunday. Those aren't, those aren't laws that are keeping us. We come freely to worship God, to acknowledge the resurrection of Christ from the dead and our resurrection in Him, to worship the Lord, to have the open Word of God openly, freely preached, uh, the gospel offered to the lost that we invite, that we bring in with us. The parables in Luke 13, 18 through 21 were, were probably spoken to the congregation just before Jesus and the twelve uh, departed the synagogue. But uh, Jesus is saying to the Jewish, Jewish religious leaders, He said, you may hold to your dead traditions and oppose the truth, but God's living kingdom will still increase and Satan will be defeated. The kingdom Jesus is talking about here uses two illustrations. He uses a mustard seed, uh, which would never grow into a large tree. A mustard seed grew a bush. And uh, he used leaven, which was always a picture of, uh, of sin and destruction, to tell us that the kingdom would be infected with false teaching, and the small seed, the little flock, would grow into an organization that would be a home for Satan, something it was never meant to be, and the evil principalities and powers would be on the branches, if you would, sitting on the branches here. And the professing church today fits both descriptions. Uh, When it comes to uh, the church of God, or people that call themselves uh, God's church, uh, full of false teaching, uh, lack of Scripture, uh, lascivious living, loose living, uh, contrary to the Word of God, a disobedience to God's Word, an allowance for sin. Uh, we see all of this in, 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 in church and think people just say, oh, all this stuff is just, we're just free in Christ, free in Christ, but not bound. But uh, can I remind you that He set us free to do His will. And uh, the commandments that Jesus Christ gives in the New Testament should not be ignored. Uh, They're uh, the things that true Christians are living out. They're actually doing, being a part of. And so uh, we see number two, uh, this legal matter, this legal question, this question about the law uh, and the Sabbath day. And then number three tonight, there was a theological question about salvation. This is a question that people are asking still today. Uh, If you think about uh, the question that's asked, they they, they say in verse number 23, Lord, are, are, are there few that be saved? Are there few? Are there only a few uh, to be saved? And the scribes often discuss the question of how many people would be saved. And, and somebody asked Jesus to give his thoughts on this issue. And as with the question about Pilate, Jesus immediately made the matter personal. And here's his answer The question is not how many will be saved, but whether or not you will be saved. The question is not for you to consider others' salvation but for you to consider your own salvation. Get that settled first, and then we can discuss about you helping other people become saved. Because I believe that true Christians want to help people come to Christ. They don't want to discuss people not coming to Christ. They want to help people come to Christ. That's what, when we become Christians, when when we're part of the family of God, uh, we want to go out and preach the gospel. We want to go out and be a witness. We want to go out and tell the truth of the gospel. And uh, sometimes it's, it's interesting. You get... Uh, questions and people that want to argue about predestination, election, and, and other difficult doctrines. And really, uh, the best way to talk to people about that is just usually asking them about their prayer life, about their witnessing, about their work in the local church. Because when you talk about those things, which are the necessities of the Christian life, it often ends the correspondence and the, and, and the questions altogether. Because too many professed Christians want to discuss profound doctrines 
but they don't want to put them into practice by seeking to win people to Christ. D.L. Moody prayed this way. He said, Lord, save the elect, and then elect some more. What's he saying? He's saying, God, you're going to save. You're going to save. And God, please add to your church. And uh, many, uh, Jesus said in verse number 24, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Well, that kind of can be an argument for somebody who wants to argue towards people not being able to be saved. So let's discuss that question. Let's discuss what's being proposed here. Let's look at this. Why? Why is this being proposed? Why? Here, the question is not, can people be saved? The question is, why are people not saved? Why are they not saved? Why the parable tells us why. It focuses primarily on the Jewish people of the day, but as a personal application to all of us today. Jesus pictures the kingdom here as a great feast with the patriarchs, the prophets, as honored guests. But many of the people who were invited waited too long to respond. Ever have uh, invite people and they don't RSVP? Wait too long to respond? They responded the last moment, the day of, they want to jump in, be a part of. Um, uh, we, we have church events like that sometimes. But, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, sign up, sign up, sign up. Uh, the day of, yeah, I want to be a part, you know. And sometimes that's how we are. We, we can be fickle in our response. We know that something is happening. We know that something is coming. But this is not an event we're talking about. This is salvation. This is, this is far more important than any event or feast that you have attended. Jesus is using the feast, the event, the dinner, if you would, to give an illustration here as to why people are not saved or why people don't come to Christ. And he shows this as when they arrived, uh, when, when these people arrived at the banquet hall, it was too late, the door was shut. It would be kind of like you got an invitation to come to an event and you showed up after it was over. You showed up after the doors were closed. You, you uh, got tickets to something, it started at a certain time and you came too late. You didn't show up at the time you were supposed to show up. Why did they wait so long? Well, the parable suggests several reasons here. To begin with, salvation is not as easy as some would like to present it. The plan of salvation is simple. But when it comes to salvation, we understand the decision is not easy. It is not an easy decision because it's not something you can just say, yeah, count me in, I'll be there. That's not how it works. Because in order for someone to come to Christ, what, what do they, have? they have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a lot. There's a work of the Holy Spirit that's involved. There's something far beyond just us that's happening. Christ is the one that redeems us. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us, uses the preaching of His Word, the teaching, the, 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 the deliverance of the gospel. The Holy Spirit pricks the heart, convicts us of our sin, uh, shows us our need for a Savior. Now, as much as I'd love to talk every individual into it, what I understand is, unless they receive the truth of Scripture, they can't be saved, and they won't be saved, because they have to believe what God's Word says. It can't be like, yeah, I want to accept Jesus. What does that even mean? I want to add Jesus to my life. I just want to keep doing what I'm doing, uh, throw a cross around my neck, and I'm a Christian. I want to join a church. Dunk me in a tank. Do something for me that I don't have to do. Uh, One and done. We're all done. We got it done. Now I can keep living my life and doing what I want to do. That's not salvation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's a great change that happens in the life of a believer. 
And I'd like to believe that everybody who makes a profession of faith, even within our church, is a Christian. But I know that's not the case. Because when they don't continue, when, when, they, when they don't, uh, listen, if it's just a quick decision, listen, I know sometimes I've been at the funerals, and I love to think about those decisions. I can't, I'm not saying I can't be the judge of anybody's soul. Because I know that the Lord does the salvation. I'm glad that I'm not the judge. How about you? And I'm glad that you're not either. We're not the judge. But when it, when it comes to it, we understand that salvation is not just an easy... Jesus describes it as a narrow gate and a narrow way. The world's crowd is on the easy way. That's the way that leads to destruction. And it's much easier to walk with them than it is to walk with Christians. Another reason for their delay was their false sense of security. And here's the false sense of security that some people have that call themselves Christians. Jesus had been among them. They had eaten with him. They enjoyed his fellowship, but they never trusted him. Some people, Lord, did we not? Did we not with you in your name? Weren't we with you? Weren't we among you? Weren't we identified with you on some level? But they never personally trusted him. God gave the nation of Israel many privileges. Jesus walked among them. They ate with him. They saw him. They saw him do the miracles. They walked with him. God gave the nation so many privileges and opportunities, but they wasted them. God is long-suffering, though, isn't he? There's a period of time before he shuts the door. You know, there's going to be a time where the door is shut. Think about the ark. As Noah preached for all those years, what did he do? He just kept preaching and kept preaching, kept building the ark. The ark was a testimony itself of salvation. And who shut the door? God did. When? When it was time. Who knew when it was time? God. And that's the answer today. God knows when the door will be shut. He will be the one that shut it. Nobody will open it. It will be at the appointed time that God has appointed. And it's mercy and long-suffering for God to hold that period of time back. As we, as God's church, say, even so, come, Lord Jesus, we are thankful for every moment that he withholds that time of coming because he is withholding it. He is long-suffering. He's given us opportunity as his church to witness to people. Let's not take it for granted. Let's believe that the, t- the day is approaching. We see it approaching, don't we? We see that day approaching. So much the more as we see the day approaching. God gave the na- nation privileges. Pride uh, was also a big part to their delay. They would not humble themselves before God. In their own eyes, they were first, and God says, you were last. There's a, the Gentiles would come and take their place. The last would be first. The first uh, would be last. Imagine the unclean Gentile dogs sitting at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when the unbelieving Jews were outside the door. These people were lost because they depended on their ancient religion to save them, but Jesus saw them as, as workers of iniquity, not doers of righteousness. And it takes more than reverence for tradition to get into God's kingdom. Some people think, I, I, I have a reverence towards God and to, towards church and to tradition. Reverence towards tradition never got anybody into the kingdom of God. Only by Jesus Christ. And the major reason was given by Jesus himself. Here's the major reason. Those were all great points as to why people don't come to Christ, why people are not saved. But here's the major answer. Jesus gives the answer in verse number 34. Ye would not. He said, I would have, but you wouldn't. I would have saved, but you would not. Notice Jesus telling us, this is why some people don't come to Christ. 
This is why not everybody's saved, because some people just won't. Some people say no. Some people reject the truth. They would not. Their minds had been instructed by the words. Their hearts had been stirred by his mighty works, by the miracles that he did that testified uh, to him being who he said he was. Their hearts had been stirred, but their wills were stubborn. They would not submit to him. This is the deadly consequence of delay. Waiting, putting it off. Don't put off to tomorrow. Don't wait. If you're not in Christ, now's the time. Today's the day. Receive Christ. The longer sinners wait, the harder their hearts become. It's the truth. Sin does not soften our hearts over time. It hardens our hearts over time. That's why, listen, that's why we believe in a Sunday school ministry. That's why we believe in witnessing to children. Why? Because over time, sin that's set and rooted, some of you that came to Christ as adults, thank God that you were able to receive the word of God. And over time, all the things that happened to you that God used worked out for good, didn't he? For his, for his glory. But boy, we're trying to reach children, aren't we? Why are we trying to reach them? Because their hearts are softened still. They still have that opportunity to believe. When sinners fail to answer God's invitation to his feast, they're the ones that die. What a pity that they rejected the truth. If people today would put, us, put as much effort into things spiritual as they do things athletic, they would be much better off. And then the last uh, question is a personal question tonight, and then we'll close quickly tonight as we need to hurry. A personal question. This is about danger. Jesus, at this time in verse number 31, is in Perea, which was ruled by Herod Antipas, son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great wasn't so great, we know. He was a wicked man. The Pharisees wanted to get Jesus back into Judea where the religious leaders could watch him. And so they tried to frighten him away. In verse number 31, they give him a false warning, a fake warning, a controlling warning. Uh, or what king going to make war against? Uh, they say, in, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong place here. Verse, uh, verse number 31, he says, The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto him, Get thee out and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. Now Jesus was not afraid of anybody killing him. As a matter of fact, he said, Nobody kills me. Nobody kills me. Nobody's going to kill me. I'm going to lay myself down. And uh, they give him this warning about this danger. The Pharisees wanted to get him out. Herod had been perplexed by Jesus' ministry. He was afraid that John the Baptist, whom he murdered, had come back from the dead. It's literally what he believed. In fact, at one point, Herod wanted to meet Jesus so he could see him perform a miracle. It appears that Herod's heart is getting harder, and he threatens to kill Jesus. And... Uh, The Lord was not afraid of danger. Jesus knew he was on God's timetable. Here's the truth tonight. All of us are on God's timetable, and we don't have to be afraid of what might happen to us because we're going to die. If we live according to God's will, we'll die according to God's will. If we're walking in the will of God, Jesus was always in the will of the Father, wasn't he? And he died in God's will, didn't he? Listen, I want to die in God's will. If I'm going to die, I want to die in God's will. How about you? But I also know that if I don't live in God's will, I could die in a way that I should have never died. That's a sad thing when people die that way. When they don't die according to God's will. Uh, the Bible says, blessed in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. You know, it's a wonderful, precious in the sight of the Lord, rather. It's a wonderful thing when God's people, hey, listen, uh, Paul said this, I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. 
I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul said, I am ready to die. The truth is, all of us should be ready to die according to the will of God, whatever that may be, and not be afraid of what man can do to us. We don't have to fear danger because we're in Christ. We ought to have the same position. Some people say, oh, if you're going to go into this place and you're going to warn people, you're going to preach the gospel, what are they going to do to you? What are they going to say to you? Thank God for missionaries who say, we're going to go because it's God's will. And God protects his children when they live in his will. Do we not believe the protection of God when we live according to God's will? God protects us. Just like he protected Jesus. Jesus walked through those those trials and tribulations. Walked through those dangerous times. He was on the Father's schedule. May we as Christians be on the Father's schedule. The nation not only rejected God's loving invitation to his feast, but they even killed the servants who brought them the invitation. Jesus talks about this. He says, you killed the prophets. Our Lord's heart was grieved. He saw the unbelief, the rebellion around him, and he broke out in a lamentation of the, pl- of the sad plight of the nation of Israel. It was a sob of anguish, not an expression of anger. His compassionate heart was broken. Look at it, verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. They would not, but Jesus would. Hey, God would. God would that none should perish. But people choose not. They choose not to. There's a sob of anguish from the Lord. It breaks the heart of God when people reject him. The hen gathers her chicks when she sees danger is coming. Jesus saw the impending danger on the nation of Israel and wanted to gather them in and protect them, but they would not come. The Pharisees told Jesus that he was in danger when in reality they were in danger. Jesus was addressing the whole nation of Israel here, not just the Pharisees who had tried to provoke him. The people had been given many opportunities to repent and be saved, but they had refused to heed his call. Think about all those who could have entered into the ark and refused to heed the call of Noah as he preached to them salvation, that they could be saved, that they could be rescued, that God would protect, that God would save them, that he would keep them safe from the wrath that was to come. And notice all of us as children of God, we are saved from the wrath to come. We are saved from the impending doom and danger on this earth. We know that God's not going to destroy this world uh, by flood, but we know that fire is coming. The Bible tells us this, but we also know that he's taking us out of here before that takes place. The Bible tells us that. That's the truth of God's word. There's a future for Israel, though, isn't there? There's a future for Israel. Thank God. Don't we see the long-suffering, merciful Savior here? The time will come when their Messiah will return, be recognized, and be received. And notice Jesus giving the, the prophecy of this from the book of Psalms. They will say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Some of the people would use these words at his triumphal entry but they will not have their fulfillment until the coming of his glory. Israel's house has been left desolate. The nation has no king. The nation has no priest, no temple, no sacrifice. But the nation has God's promise that she has not been forsaken. There can be no peace on earth until the Prince of Peace is seated on David's throne. And so we should, as Psalm 122 tells us, 
pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Because we know that the prophecies that have been given in God's Word will come to pass. I'm thankful tonight that I'm in Christ. How about you? And I'm safe in Christ. But I'm not going to sit safe in Christ as we've been called to go and tell. Been called to go and preach the gospel. Let's uh, all recognize tonight as we looked at these questions and answers that the time that we have on this earth is short. We have a purpose. Protection is within the will of God, and without it is no protection. And as we live according to God's will, we are bearing fruit. We would bear much fruit, and that our fruit would remain, the Bible says. We should be witnesses unto Him. We should be witnesses unto Him. God's called every single one of us to that. That's not something you have to wait for some added call. God has called every single one of us to be witnesses unto Him. As we're given opportunity, and given opportunity to give an answer of the hope that lies within us, with meekness and fear, may we give an opportunity, always ready, always ready to give an answer. Jesus was always ready to give an answer, wasn't He? And He calls us to be the same, always ready to give an answer. There's going to be questions, oh, they might be about politics or the law or religion, theology or danger in the world. As Christians, we have the answers. The answer is Christ. The answers are found in His Word. Don't bumble and stumble over your opinions or what you think. Simply open up the Word of God and give them an answer. They may not receive the answer, but we are obligated to give it to them. And don't always go into it thinking they're not going to receive it. I think sometimes as Christians, we reject Christ for people. Oh, they're not going to listen to us. They're never going to receive it. No, go in thinking they're going to. Believe that God can change their heart. I think sometimes we're so negative about how we approach. We're not doom and gloom. We've got good news to tell. Let's be bearers of good news. And I dare say you'll find somewhere along the way the rest of this week that needs to hear some good news. There's been a lot of bad news they've heard. They need to hear some good news. They need to hear God's truth. And uh, may they hear it from God's people. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.